0: Hello and welcome to Misty 101 podcast.
1: Taliban official compares women without huge ab to sliced melon. A Taliban member reportedly compared women to sliced melons being sold in a market in misogynist and objectifying remarks to a journalist in a video that has since gone viral on social media. The Taliban's dubious claims of respecting women's rights compared to their record in their previous rule have come under international scrutiny after the insurgents wrested control of Afghanistan once the US pulled its troops out of the country. The video, shared by a BBC Persian correspondent on Twitter, showed the Taliban member justifying the need for women to wear the hijab. It is not clear when and where the remarks were made, and the independent could not immediately verify its authenticity. Do you buy a sliced melon or an intact melon? Of course, the intact one. A woman without hijab is like a sliced melon, the unidentified Taliban member is heard saying in a local language. Senior BBC journalist Suzanne Kyanpour was among those criticizing the misogynist remarks online. When you think about the translation of the word he's using while comparing women to sliced or intact melons Salem cubed UU it means healthy, so basically the Taliban thinks women without hijab are unhealthy she said in a tweet. Stop comparing us to fruits and lollipops. We are humans just like you are. We observe hijab because it's a part of our faith, not because we want validation from men wrote another user. I mean you don't have to devise your diary of an Afghan family in the UK, we can't apply for jobs, drive or open a bank account, we have nothing. My wife, three sons and I arrived in the UK three weeks ago unlike many of our friends and relatives, we were able to flee Kabul before it fell we flew into Birmingham Airport on 12 August as part of the UK government's evacuation programme and were taken straight to a quarantine hotel in Manchester by coach. After 10 days, we were moved again, to a hotel in Canterbury, where we've been staying ever since with 10 or so other families, waiting to have a home assigned. As a former commercial lawyer and CEO, I hope it will be in London, where the most professional jobs are. My wife, Lida, and I feel very depressed after losing our home and not knowing what will happen next. Our sons, aged 8, 14 and 17, feel they have lost everything, their friends, their country. Even though they won't talk about their feelings with me, I can see their emotional posts on Facebook saying they feel depressed and hopeless. My youngest was crying last night. He doesn't have any friends here and he doesn't know about the culture, apart from a family from Kent who invited us into their home last night, people look at us like we are refugees and we're not part of the community, which we are not. My son asked if we could go back to Kabul last night and I had to tell him we couldn't. Leaving Afghanistan is a one-way road. We have come here to be safe. How You Can Support Afghan Refugee Families in the UK From charities appealing for food, clothes, smartphones and toiletries to networks looking for Londoners with spare rooms, there are many ways to help the thousands who have newly arrived in the UK. Since Afghanistan fell to the Taliban. Thousands of families have been forced to take refuge in the UK, and ministers have pledged to welcome as many as 20,000 over the coming weeks and months. Their stories so far have been mixed, but the reaction from readers here in the UK is consistently the same what can we do to support these families, and what's the best way I can help? The concerns refugees face are wide ranging. In the short term, they need food clothes, smartphones, toiletries and baby items but longer term, they need jobs, housing, schools and community. We need social gatherings and cultural programmes so we can feel part of the community. said Hashmi, a father of three living in a hotel in Canterbury. For Hashmi and his family, the response to their arrival in the UK three weeks ago has been mixed. People look at us like we are refugees and we are not part of the community, which we are not he said from his hotel room last night. But one interaction with the people of Kent has given them a glimmer of hope, a few days ago an English family with four children approached them in the street and invited them to their garden for a barbecue. They showed us real humanity, expressing their sympathy for Afghanistan and crying when we told them our story. World's biggest machine for sucking CO2 from air begins operating in Iceland. The world's largest plant for sucking carbon dioxide from the air and storing it underground has starting operating in Iceland. It is expected to deal with up to 4000 tons per year, equivalent to the annual emissions from about 790 cars. Global emissions last year were 31.5 billion tons according to the International Energy Agency. Direct air capture is seen by scientists as vital to efforts to limit global warming. Iceland's orca plant, a reference to the Icelandic word for energy, is made up of eight large containers that use filters and fans to extract carbon dioxide. The CO2 is then mixed with water and pumped underground, where it slowly turns into rock the system is powered renewably by a nearby geothermal plant direct air capture is still a new and expensive technology but it's hoped the price will fall as it becomes more widespread there are currently 15 plants globally capturing more than 9000 tons of carbon dioxide per year according to the IEA Occidental a US oil firm is developing the largest facility designed to pool 1 million tonnes per year from the air near its Texas oil fields. Iceland's plant is a partnership between Swiss startup Climeworks AG and Icelandic company Carbfix. Climeworks also offers a subscription allowing consumers to pay monthly for carbon removal. Study finds growing government use of sensitive data to nudge behavior. A new form of influence government which uses sensitive personal data to craft campaigns aimed at altering behavior has been supercharged by the rise of big tech firms, researchers have warned. National and local governments have turned to targeted advertisements on search engines and social media platforms to try to nudge the behavior of the country at large, the academics found. The shift to this new brand of governance stems from a marriage between the introduction of nudge theory in policyholders and an online advertising infrastructure that provides unforeseen opportunities to run behavioural adjustment campaigns. Some of the examples found by the Scottish Centre for Crime and Criminal Justice range from a prevent style scheme to deter young people from becoming online fraudsters to tips on how to light a candle properly. While targeted advertising is common across business, one researcher argues that the government using it to drive behavioural change could create a perfect feedback loop. With the government You've got access to all this data where you can see pretty much in real time who you need to talk to demographically, and then on the other end you can actually see, well, did this make a difference, said Ben Collier, of the University of Edinburgh. The government doing this supercharges the ability of it to actually work. The British government's fondness for minor behavioural modification tactics began in the David Cameron era since the welcome to spider season why you should never catch and kill excuse me while I scream spider season is upon us and for thousands that means arachnophobia season is also in full swing because no matter how remarkable the eight-legged scuttlers may be for those who live in fear every new piece of information just adds to the alarm for instance There are 38,000 species of spider in the world, and many more to be discovered. Oh good. There's also the glad news that spiders are found on every continent except Antarctica, and that in one acre of land, there are around 1 million spiders. Giant trapdoor spiders are similar to spiders that lived over 300 million years ago, and are over 4 inches across, that's probably enough facts if we ever want to sleep again. My fellow arachnophobes over 6% of the global population have an intense fear of spiders, will know all too well the screaming dread of seeing that dark shape whisk by across the floor, noiseless and seemingly directionless. Fortunately, for much of the year, spiders lurk unseen, or outdoors, busy building their webs between plants, being part of the ecosystem and causing no trouble. But come autumn, mating season, the weather turns chilly and the spider population wants to be warm and cozy, find somewhere to settle down and raise the many eight-eyed kids. So where better than our lovely, dusty, centrally heated homes? I understand all too well the urge to chart memories from Iran, Scottish family recall exciting, terrifying experience. Just over 50 years ago, Scots engineer George Lindsay decided to take his young family on a nation adventure. Having gained a PhD in metallurgical engineering from the University of Strathclyde, George, who grew up in Montrose, worked for a couple of years in the research centre at Barb and Wilcox in Renfrew. In 1970, he decided to make a move across the globe to take up an associate professorship at Arima University of Technology in Tehran, Iran. George, his wife Charlotte, and son Graham, too, found themselves in a strange city in a strange country, but it turned out to be a rewarding time. It was an amazing experience working and living within the Iranian people, George said. We lived in a house in the city rather than in a western expatriate compound. Our neighbors and my work colleagues were all extremely welcoming and helpful. They even installed a western-style toilet at the university for me. I loved the Iranian national dish chilokababs, kebabs minced lamb on a skewer which came with a raw egg you had to crack and mix with the rice. The students were very enthusiastic and keen to learn and I met the Shah on a couple of occasions at the university of which he was chancellor. After a few mistakes in Farsi, including going into a local shop to return a carton of milk and declaring I am a woman instead of my wife bought this, George was confident enough to plan an adventure within an adventure in the summer of 1970. McDonald's customer vows to go vegan after finding what he claims was a pig nipple in his bacon roll. A McDonald's customer has claimed he's considering going vegan following a discovery he made in his bacon roll. Simon Robinson, 27, opened up a bacon roll he'd brought from McDonald's near Gateshead and spotted what he believed looked like a pig nipple on a piece of the meat. The fast food chain said they are confident it was not a pig's nipple. Nevertheless, Robinson claims it has put him off meat. Describing what happened, Robinson told how he opened the sandwich to check how many rashers of bacon he'd been given when he spotted the bump. Robinson said, to open it up and to find that was revolting. It has put me off meat entirely. So much so I'm considering going vegan now. It's a fairly regular treat getting a bacon roll from McDonald's. I always open up and check what's inside because I have OCD. This time it seems it was entirely justified. I know you can find that on pork belly but I didn't ask for a pork belly roll. I asked for a bacon sandwich. He added. I dare not eat it but I did eat the rest of the roll. A spokesperson for McDonald's told Indy 100, We use back bacon in all of our bacon rolls and due to the location that this cut is taken from, we are confident this customer is mistaken in his claim. We understand the customer is liaising with our customer services team who are offering further assistance. Mommy, why don't you hug me? Kids sometimes ask the deepest and most direct questions, the ones we refuse to ask ourselves. This is what my 11-year-old son asked me one day as I was preparing dinner. Mom, why don't you hug and kiss me like other mothers do? I kept quiet, acting like I was a surgeon doing complex brain surgery on the onion I was slicing. My son kept at it. Come on mom, tell me why kiss me now, kiss me. And that's when I froze. I felt very uncomfortable, like as if he had just asked me where do babies come from. My child was begging me, his mother for physical warmth and I couldn't give him any. I continued to act busy and told him to not disturb me. But I knew him. He wasn't going to stay quiet. I likened my son to my conscience. He will call me out on anything if I err and tell it like it is. He will bring it out to the light and force me to look at it. It is so annoying that he is just like me. The apple didn't fall far from this old tree. What kind of a mother are you? You can't even give a kiss. You are a bad mother, he said, anger and tears clouding his beautiful brown eyes. I told him to stop it. Then I fled the scene, because he had brought it to the light and I couldn't bear it. I knew exactly what he was talking about. That question had kept me awake many a night. There are things we hide. Fire alarms sound on International Space Station as crew reports smoke and smell of burning. Fire alarms have sounded on the International Space Station, with the crew reporting that they could see smoke and smell burning the problems began early on Thursday and appears to have been overcome for now, with the team returning to rest. It is just the latest problem for the floating laboratory, which is widely considered to be nearing the end of its lifespan. Officials have said that cracks have been found in the body of the space station, and it is suffering an increasing number of issues. Russia's space agency Roscosmos said the incident took place in the Russian-built Zvezda module and occurred as the station's batteries were being recharged. According to Roscosmos, the crew activated air filters and returned back to their night rest once the air quality was back to normal. The crew will proceed with a spacewalk scheduled for Thursday as planned, the agency noted. The space station is currently operated by NASA astronauts Mark Van Dihier, Shane Kimbrough and Megan MacArthur, Oleg Novitskiy and Pio Dubrov of Russia's Roscosmos, Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency astronaut Akiiko Hoshide and European Space Agency astronaut Thomas Pesquet. Novitskiy and Dubrov are scheduled to carry out a six-hour-long spacewalk on Thursday to continue integrating the Russian-built Norka science lab that docked with the space station in July. Shortly after docking, the lab briefly knocked the orbital outpost out of position by accidentally firing its engines, coffee makes you run faster and other curious caffeine facts. Do you know which country drinks the most coffee? Or what the unexpected health benefits of drinking a cup a day are. Here we reveal surprising facts about one of the world's oldest and most popular drinks including how much you should consume and how to roast your own beans at home. When you think of coffee, you probably picture fine, ground brown powder, or brown beans if you're fancy and grind your own, but it starts life as a fruit. The coffee plant grows little red berries called coffee cherries. The seeds inside are what get roasted and ground, and are what we call beans. Wondering where your coffee has come from? Most likely Brazil. The South American country is the world's largest producer in the world, churning out 51 million 60 kilograms bags between 2017 and 2018 to put that into perspective 1 kilogram 2 lbs of beans makes around 120 double espressos the higher up that coffee is grown the better a cool wet climate means the cherries ripen gradually and develop complex flavors at 5,000 feet 1,500 m Above sea level, the height of Ethiopian coffee plants, you can expect floral, stone fruit and spicy flavors. At 4,000 feet, 1,200 m, like Brazilian coffee, the beans divide.
0: We are asking for your support. You can make your donations on our website www.misty101.com on podcast page.
1: Hello gorgeous welcome to our makeup section where we tell you all about makeup hacks to make all you beauties even more beautiful how to choose and apply the best makeup primer for you face primer is the beginning of any great makeup look whether you're rocking a full an easy four step cat makeup tutorial for Halloween there are one of two ways to go about your Halloween makeup look you can plan it Monday Goodbye till next episode with more tips on makeup. Afghan Special Forces Commando arrested at Manchester Hotel. Armed police have reportedly detained an Afghan Special Forces Commando. Britons may have to wait longer for free bus pass and free prescriptions, impacts explored. State pension age has historically stood at 60 for women and 65 for men, but after changes, by November, 2018, age parity was reached. This was not the end of alterations, however, and since, the state pension age has risen to 66. The state pension age is gradually increasing for men and women and is planned to increase in future years to 68. This is due to the fact life expectancy in the UK is rising, with Britons expected to spend more of their adult lives in retirement than ever before. The rising state pension age, however, is likely to have an impact on two key entitlements older people expect, and therefore individuals are encouraged to pay attention to the changes to ensure they are not left disappointed or out of the loop about the matter. Firstly, is the idea of the free bus pass. This is an important entitlement for Britons as it eases travel, allowing people to get out and about for free. Whether it is attending doctor's appointments or visiting family and friends, a free bus pass is valued highly by many individuals. However, there are rules surrounding when a person can get this pass which are important to note. They differ in the four nations of the UK due to devolved governments having varying rules when it comes to travel. In Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland, people will usually be able to get their free bus pass at 60. But in England, it is stipulated free bus passes can only be obtained once a person reaches state pension age. This means these individuals will have to wait until 66 to get theirs. With state pension age rising, however, it may be the case some individuals will have to wait until after 66, if their state pension age is higher. To check, people can procure a state pension forecast from the government's official website, which can tell them when their age is, and how much they can expect to receive from their state pension. However, there may be another change people, namely those resident in England will have to contend with. This relates to the ability to acquire free NHS prescriptions, which proposals have suggested could undergo a change. NHS prescription charges could be on the horizon as the Department for Health and Social Care is currently consulting on aligning the upper age exemption for prescription charges with the state pension age. This would mean many more people between the ages of 60 and 65 would be required to meet prescription charges. Historically, the initial exemption age for prescriptions was for people aged 65 and over. This was then extended to women aged 60 and over in 1974. In 1995, it was further extended to men aged 60 and over. This was based on the state pension age for women. Most adults in England are required to pay for prescription charges. The NHS states some items are always free, including medicines which are prescribed for hospital inpatients and contraceptives. The current prescription charge is 9 pounds and 35 pence per item, but a prescription prepayment certificate could save people money and the NHS encourages people to look into the matter. However, some health charities have expressed concern about the potential for an increase. They have written to the government urging a rethink on the matter. The letter highlighted a deep concern that scrapping free prescriptions for 60- to 65-year-olds could have a devastating impact on the health of older people. Particularly concerning... The letter added, Are those 52% of 60 to 64 year olds who are living with one or more long term health conditions? Thorin Govind, Royal Pharmaceutical Society, RPS, English Pharmacy Board Chair, also said the proposal to raise the age at which people can access free prescriptions from 60 to 66 means that many more people will be affected by this tax on the sick at exactly the time at which they may be needing more medicines. It is unacceptable to raise the cost of prescriptions in the current economic situation when many have been disadvantaged by the pandemic. Such proposals will only further drive the health inequalities that have been highlighted by COVID 19. Ms. Govind highlighted that in Scotland and Wales at present, there are no prescription charges residents will need to pay. This is as a result of devolved governments having control over health services and the way they are administered. Those living in England, then, may have to prepare to wait longer for their free prescriptions if the proposals were to go ahead and be made into law. A Department of Health and Social Care spokesperson previously told Express.co.uk, the age people get free prescriptions in England has not changed since 1974 for women and 1995 for men so we are consulting on aligning the upper age exemption from prescription charges with the state pension age. We continue to protect the most vulnerable and support is available for those on a low income and those on certain benefits. Almost 90% of prescription items dispensed in the community in England in 2019 were free of charge, and there are other exemptions in place for certain medical conditions and expectant or new mothers. The consultation does not propose any other changes to existing exemptions from charges which remain in place for a range of ages and vulnerable groups or those on low incomes. People on a low income who do not qualify for an exemption from prescription charges are urged to seek help with their prescription charges and other health costs under the NHS Low Income Scheme, please. This scheme provides help with health costs on an income-related basis. Coronation Street favourite to die in major disaster that will rival 2010 tram crash. Coronation Street bosses are to stage a disaster so massive it will rival the tram crash which rocked Weatherfield in 2010 leaving one regular dead. The grand scale stunt will see a return of the sinkhole that appeared in the Platts back garden a year ago. As she celebrated Corrie being named Best Soap at the National TV Awards, actress Sally Carman, who plays A.B.I. Franklin, declared, it's going to be so big it will rival the tram crash. You're going to have your socks blown off. Show boss Ian McLeod said the move to stage a major cinematic disaster was a way of celebrating the end of the pandemic. He compared the plot to Chekhov's gun, a dramatic principle that states that every element in a story must be necessary. We don't have Chekhov's gun in our stories but we do have Chekhov's sinkhole. We've tried to look at the last 12 months and the limited way in which all soaps have been forced to tell their stories, and try to subvert that and go we're back. It's going to be really huge, there's loads of emotion there's loads of big spectacle, it's going to be cinematic. It's a statement of intent that we wanted, as a show, to put out there, to make something we couldn't possibly have made in the past 18 months because the pandemic wouldn't allow it. But we're back now, our team is the best in the business and we can do it and we're going to do it and it's going to be incredibly impressive. He said the sinkhole's return would leave one character dead. When you do a story of a certain scale and at a certain level of spectacle the viewers expect there to be significant aftermath to it and significant outcomes. So yes, I can confirm that Chekhov's sinkhole will result in a death. Celebrating the soaps hat-trick of gongs at the National TV Awards, he said, our team are the hardest working, most talented, most dedicated people in the business. Making soaps is hard anyway but doing it while there is a deadly virus out there is even harder and what we are doing now, the episodes around the sinkhole, are testament to how incredibly indefatigable our production team, our writers and our actors are. Tonight has been a really proud moment for all of us he added. The tram crash, which killed three characters including Ashley Peacock and Molly Dobbs, was to celebrate the soap's fiftieth anniversary in two thousand and ten. Businessman jailed for life for double execution over pound four hundred K debt. A businessman convicted of cold-bloodedly murdering two men to avoid paying a £400,000 debt has been jailed for life with a minimum term of 40 years. Will Henry, 31, and Brian McIntosh, 29, were found shot dead in a Range Rover after police were called to a car park at the Albion Works off Moore Street in Briley Hill Dudley, West Midlands on 30 September 2020. Jurors at Birmingham Crown Court deliberated over two days before convicting 33 year old Jonathan Houseman, formerly of Quarry Park Road, Stourbridge, West Midlands, of murdering both victims, returning verdicts on August 6. Co defendant Richard Avery, of no fixed address, was cleared of murder but convicted of perverting the course of justice. The 34 year old, of previously good character, was jailed for two and a half years. Passing sentence at Birmingham Crown Court on Friday, Mr Justice Martin Spencer told Houseman, who had no previous convictions, it was only you in the back of the car who shot those two men, without warning, cold-bloodedly, in what was effectively an execution. Wherever it was Brian and Will were headed, they never got there. As Brian turned the car and started to move forward, you shot them both in head, the bullets passing through their brains, causing instant death. Houseman initially got out of the vehicle, he said, and then briefly returned to turn off the engine, lights and windscreen wipers, before you made your escape, walking back to your car. He added that Houseman then drove to Avery's car wash near the Merry Hill shopping centre and set about trying to cover your tracks with the assistance of Richard Avery, to whom he gave the gun. The judge declined to hand Houseman a rare whole life term, after he lured the men to their deaths, saying, I considered you carried out these offences as an act of desperation, adding, you saw no other way out of the financial predicament you had got yourself into. Turning to Avery, Mr. Justice Spencer described his offences as a, a forlorn attempt to assist Jonathan Houseman in avoiding justice. Mr. McIntosh was shot four times in the left side of his face and neck, and Mr. Henry was shot twice. The trial heard that Houseman had previous dealings with the victims, who worked together in waste clearance. Houseman, who also worked in waste disposal, had a site in in containing about 1,000 tons of waste, which he had hired Mr McIntosh and Mr Henry to clear. Michael Burrow QC, prosecuting, told the jury, however, he didn't pay them for the work they did. The murder weapon has never been recovered and is thought to be in criminal circulation. Tanya Hassan, Mr McIntosh's fiancée and mother of his two sons, aged nine and three, said the youngsters have lost their hero and protector. He has been cruelly and viciously taken from them. Miss Hassan said her children have had to learn the world is a nasty place and that there is pure evil that walks among us, adding that houseman had been invited into the family's home as a guest. My family is now a broken one. Brian McIntosh's fiancée, Tanya Hassan. She said and Mr McIntosh had been due to be married this year, after the pandemic delayed their nuptials, adding, now I will never get to experience one of the best days of my life. She described Mr McIntosh as a hard worker, at the heart of his community, mentoring at his local boxing gym as did Mr Henry and helping pay for the funerals of two locals, whose families could not afford the bills. My family is now a broken one, she said. His mother, Tina McIntosh, said, our son Brian was a gentle giant with a lion's heart of gold. She added, unless you are a parent that has lost a child, you have no idea of the pain we feel. Mr. Henry's partner, Denny Ulla, said, on the 30th of September, my life was destroyed, my partner and protector was ripped away from me. Mr Henry, who was also a stepfather, was killed when she was four months pregnant with their first child, a girl. Ms Allah said, I had to continue the remaining five months alone, completely broken whilst mourning my dead partner I gave birth, attended scans and will raise our daughter alone. She has been robbed of an amazing father she said, adding, she will never know him. We truly believe our mother's death was caused by the pain and grief she bore over the murder and death of her son. Will Henry's brother, Christopher. Mr. Henry's brother, Christopher, broke down in tears as he said his brother's death had left their mother heartbroken and that, on Christmas Day morning in 2020, she suffered a fatal heart attack, aged 61, while on a family walk. Mr. Henry said, we truly believe our mother's death was caused by the pain and grief she bore over the murder and death of her son. He added, the violent nature of his passing does not fill well with the life he lived cut down in the prime of his life.
0: Welcome back. This is Misty 101.com podcast. Visit www.misty101.com for great offers, read reviews and blogs, free shipping and great service. Subscribe and get notification of new offers and discounts. Stay tuned. We are asking for your support. You can make your donations on our website www.misty101.com on podcast page. We hope that you have enjoyed the show. We thank you for being with us and your support. Goodbye till next time.